All right, open your Bibles to the last book of the Old Testament. I wonder, can someone, let's, let's just draw a line, someone under 18 tell me what law I talked about this morning? What law was mentioned? Uh, really? Okay. Someone over 18. What? The law of cause and effect. That's exactly right. For, for every effect, there is a cause. And as I said this morning, that's true regardless of what area of our life we're talking about. And uh, it is especially true in regards to uh, our, our Christian life and the challenges that we face and the difficulties that we encounter. And so many times we, we want to solve the problem, but we don't ever get to the root of the problem. You know, kind of like putting Band-Aid on a cancer instead of cutting it out. I mentioned that because I want to talk to you about another law tonight. And this law is often called the law of sowing and reaping. The title of the message tonight is the windows of heaven. Malachi 3 verse 10. Probably some folks have this memorized. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, that's a very well-known verse. It's not really all that popular, is it? It's a bit frightening to some people, and uh, maybe it ought to be. There's just not that much interest in the subject of giving, but regardless of what you might think, this is a very important verse. It has to do with practicing and proving the promises of God. And, and so what I want you to see is I want you to understand that this has to do with duty more than dollars. So if you think this is just about the matter of giving your money, you've already missed the whole point of the message. Duty more than dollars. It speaks here about giving. There's no doubt about that. But it speaks of, of giving as, as an act of obedience. And, and that's what really gets to the heart of the matter. It's us doing what God has required of us, being obedient. So our thoughts then have to extend beyond just the matter of giving to anything and everything related to our responsibilities toward God. Now, giving has to be taken into consideration because it's mentioned here. So we can't just skip over that, obviously. 
It's mentioned, I think, more than anything as an example for a discussion of this subject. Remember, the discussion is not dollars, it's duty. It has to do with our responsibilities toward God. And by the way, since, you know, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, uh, this is an area, I think, where disobedience to duty is most likely uh, to be found. I mean, if people are going to fail anywhere, it'll, you know, usually, it'll usually be here. That's not to say that there are no exceptions. There are some people that will give and not do anything else. And that's just as wrong as, you know, doing everything else but giving. Some people would give a, do themselves a big uh, favor if they would just really focus on what this verse is all about, which is our responsibility, and uh, which enables us to prove God. And to do that, we have to keep it in the context. You can't just read this one verse. Look at verse 8 and 9, for example, because it is a reminder as to the danger of disobedience. And it would be true in any area of disobedience. It says, will a man rob God? Well, you would think not, right? Will a man rob God? That's a question. Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? Now, isn't that amazing that they would have to ask a question like that? God says, you've robbed me. And they say, how? Where, where did we rob you? And the Lord says, in tithes and offerings. You think they didn't know what they were doing? They knew, and yet evidently they are at least pretending to be blind to the fact that they had robbed God. But notice verse 9, I said this has to do with the danger of disobedience. And he says, ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Well, I'm telling you, when you think about defrauding God and the fact that it brings a curse, it ought to get our attention. And again, let me remind you, we're not just talking about the matter of giving. We're talking about the matter of disobeying God. So many times people say, well, I just don't understand why all of this stuff has happened to me. Well, maybe if you just, you know, stop and examine your life. Now, listen, don't misunderstand that. There are times that the best people go through the worst problems. So just because somebody's going through great difficulty, it doesn't mean they're out of the will of God. It doesn't mean they're disobedient to God. So you can't just make a blanket statement, well, they're having a lot of problems. That means their heart must not be right with God. That's, that's the mistake Job's friends made. I mean, Job was head and shoulders above all of them and everybody else, and he had all of these problems, and they surmised that, oh, well, you know, there must be some sin that you're trying to hide from us, Job. No, it didn't have anything to do with sin whatsoever. That wasn't the point. But we must not be so 
foolish as to rule out the possibility that we're going through these difficulties as a result of sin in our life. Because God says, when you disobey me, when you rob me, whatever the case might be, he says, I will put a curse upon you. And here we see a nation of people that he says, you have robbed me. And now there's a curse upon you. And it's clear when you look at a lot of folks, they have no love for God. They have no faith in God. They have no fear of God. And they have no idea what great loss that they might incur as a result of it. But there's more to it than that. Not only does he speak about a curse upon those that are disobedient, he speaks about a blessing upon those that are obedient to him. In other words, a blessing that comes as a result of us delighting deity, bringing pleasure to God. Think about that for a moment. It's easy to say, you know, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's another thing to truly bless the Lord in the sense that we are a blessing to Him, that we please Him. And so this is not just about being cursed as a result of of our disobedience. It's about being blessed as a result of doing what God says. And that ought to motivate us. It ought to motivate us to give. It ought to motivate us to obey God in everything He commands. And now with that in mind, I want to, uh, I want you to consider four things tonight. And the emphasis being on the windows of heaven. We're thinking more about the blessing than we are about the curse. And there are four things I want you to think about. Number one, the goodness of God. Don't ever forget that it is God who provides what we are able to give. I love the fact that Jesus, you know, spoke about the Father and that, you know, He is good to the just and the unjust alike. God's good to everyone. He really is. No one can ever point a finger of accusation at God and say he's unfair, he's unkind, or anything. He is just. And because he is holy, there's going to be judgment upon those that reject him, but that's something they bring upon themselves, not something thrust upon them unjustly by the Lord. It's their fault. God provides everything that we're able to give, and without him we wouldn't have anything to give. Well, maybe somebody's thinking, well, I've got news for you, preacher. I work for what I've got. Well, that might be true. But you need to stop and think that it was God who gives you the strength. It's God who provides the job. It's God that gives you the knowledge. God that gives you the opportunity. And any way you look at it, it all goes back to what James 1 verse 17 says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father. That That is a truth, by the way, that God transmitted to Israel many years ago. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter number 8 for just a moment. 
Deuteronomy chapter number 8, because this relates to exactly what's going on in the book of Malachi. These people should have known better. They should have desired a blessing from the Lord and should have done that which was pleasing to the Lord. He says in verse 18 of chapter 8, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And so here is the Lord, all of these many, many, many years before, reminding them, don't you dare forget God, because he's the one that gives you the power to get wealth. And James comes along all of those years later and says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from Above, And we need to live every day of our life with the awareness that of God's goodness, that what we have is a result of Him. God's goodness not only is the thing that leads us to repentance, God's goodness is the thing that motivates us to emulate God, to be like God, to do what Jesus would do. The goodness of God. Uh, someone had posted a thing on Facebook, I, and this this fellow had uh, no legs. Uh, he had one arm, and it was on a treadmill. When I say no legs, I mean he didn't have any stumps even. I don't think I've ever seen anyone, uh, you, you know, that just, I mean, that, that was just his torso and no legs, no stumps, nothing. I and it was on a treadmill, and I thought, well, what is this all about? And he would take one hand, the only only arm he had, and reach out with that on the treadmill and, and move his body some way that he could keep up with the moving treadmill. And I thought to myself, oh, my soul, and we complain, you know, about our our petty problems in comparison to that. Or maybe you look at a picture of some of those little malnourished kids. I mean, they're just skin and bone. They don't have anything to eat whatsoever. And so many times we forget about how good God is to us because we live, you know, in the land of milk and honey. We live with an abundance. And it's all because of God's goodness. But not only, not only that, but expanding on that, we see also God's grace. You know, it'd be really easy maybe for some people to complain about the fact that God demands 10%. Well, have you ever thought about the fact that God could have demanded all of it? God could have said, I want you to go out here and work 40 hours a week or whatever, and I, I want all of it. I won't be satisfied with any less. Or what if God had said, I want 90% of it and you can keep 10%? God had every right to do that, folks. But He didn't. Why? Because He's gracious. And anything we ever receive from God, and this is where we're talking about grace now. God's good to everyone, but understand this, that anything we receive from God is more than what we deserve. 
and that that's something that a lot of people just don't get. And, and, and of course, that's the very reason why we complain so much, why some people are absolutely never satisfied, because regardless of how much they have, they, they think in their mind some way or another that I really deserve more, bigger, and better than what I have, and it's not fair. I've been deprived. I don't have this, and I don't have that, and it's not, not fair. Everybody else has it. I don't. And you know, like I've often said, if we got what we deserve, every one of us would be in hell. You don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. Now, since God has, by His grace, given us everything that we have, then uh, then He has every right to demand what we have. He can demand it because none of us are earning our way with God. So many times we think, you know, well, if I do this and I do that, well, then God will be obligated. I'll obligate God. I'll attend church every week. I'll be there. I'll give my tithe. I'll read my Bible. I'll say my prayers and I'll do all of these things. And God will be obligated to bless me. You'd be surprised how many people really believe that. And it's just not true. And if we really understood that, we wouldn't hold on to things so tightly and we wouldn't complain so much. And when we lose sight of the grace of God, we're always headed for trouble. It's been that way from the very beginning. Let me show you, let me show you the, I think the prime example of that, Genesis chapter number two. And I want you to notice what the Lord says. And then I want you to notice what happens. He says in Genesis 2 and verse number 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. That's grace. Freely. It's not earned. It's free. Of every tree of the garden you can freely eat. Right? Okay. That's what the Lord said. Now, look in chapter number 3 for a moment here. As Eve is being tempted of the serpent, and the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Well, you say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. Really? You didn't notice that there's something she leaves out? She has altered the word of God. She left out a word. That's not what God said. He didn't just say, you can eat of the trees of the garden. He didn't say that. She has lost sight of the grace of God. He said, you may freely eat of the trees of the garden. And anytime we lose sight of God's grace and we start getting in our mind that we deserve more than we become reluctant to respond to God's commands and reluctant to to give anything, you know, that we think is going to deprive us of what we want, right? And so, you know, not, and I'm not talking just about money. I'm talking about everything in life. Well, well, if I do all of that, you know, I, that means I'm not going to have as much time to go to the lake or as much time to do this or, or do that. I'm going to have to deprive myself in some way. And so we, we we sort of reason in our mind, I, you know, I don't want to become too fanatical and radical about this religion stuff, you know. I, I've got to keep it within certain limits. I don't want it to pressure me out of my comfort zone. 
And that's exactly what we do. Why? Because we've lost sight of the grace of God that everything we have is more than what we deserve. And, and, and like I've often said, if look, if I don't deserve anything, I ought to be thankful for everything and complain about nothing. Because I don't deserve it. But we see not only God's goodness and His grace, I want you to also consider God's greatness. In fact, look across the page in chapter 1 and verse number 14. And chapter 1 is so very meaningful because here God is dealing with the fact that they have, they, and remember they are still religious at this point. They are still supposedly worshiping God. They're bringing sacrifices and so forth. But they were not obeying God. They, they were giving the halt and the maim and the blind, the animals that had been, uh, you know, uh, attacked or deformed or sick in some way. And they reasoned in their mind, we're going to take these, we're going to take these little lambs, you know, uh, to offer up as a sacrifice and they're going to die anyway. Why in the world would I give the very best of the flock? And they said, they're just going to kill it. This one's going to die anyway. I'll, I'll just take that one. And God said, you offer that up to the governor and see if he'll be satisfied with something like that. In other words, God was saying, don't you dare think that I'm willing to just take your leftovers. He demanded the very best they had and notice the grounds upon which that demand was made. Verse number 14 of chapter 1. But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. Now notice, For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. The Bible is very clear about the fact that we reap what we sow and more. And I want you to notice that here in our text from Malachi 3.10, that God basically dares us to trust Him, to put Him to the test. He says, prove me, put me to, to the test. And notice what He says after that. He says, and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out, pour you out a blessing and there shall not be room enough to receive it. How about that? Instead of us focusing on what we think that we are going to lose or be deprived of as a result of obeying God, why don't we think of the blessings that God bestows upon us? God just put me to the test. I read the story of one, one preacher who was dealing with one of the members in the church and and this man was trying to explain to the preacher how that, oh, I know, preacher, that you're right, that, you know, Christians ought to tithe. I, I, I understand that, but we are in such a financial bind. I just, I just don't see any way that we can pay our bills and, you know, and, uh, and I can support my family and take care of them and what have you and tithe. We're, money's just that tight. I can't do it. So the preacher said, what would you think if I said to you, you start tithing 
And he said over the course of the next month, if you come up short on any money, like whatever the amount that you lack in paying your bills, what if I told you, I'll make up that amount. I'll give you that amount of money. If God doesn't come through and, you, you know, and, and you're not blessed as a result of doing this, what would you say to that? And the fellow thought for a little while and he said, well, I, I believe that's more than fair. I, I believe I could do something like that. He said, I, I couldn't lose on that. And the preacher looked at him and said, what do you really think about what you just said? That you are willing to trust me, just another man? You're willing to trust me to make up that difference and to make sure that your needs are supplied? When the, the God of heaven, the God of the universe, the one who has all power, And He promises you that He'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing and there won't even be room enough to receive it. What, what do you think about that? That you're not willing to trust God, but you're willing to trust me. Do you see how foolish our reasoning gets sometimes whenever we're trying to get out of our obligations to God? Don't lose sight of the fact that the reward... That is, God opening up the windows of heaven and pouring out the blessing. That comes as a result of obedience, not giving. If you give just to get, you won't get. God rewards faithful service, not just the act of doing something. Because we can do something for a selfish purpose. I mean, listen, I know examples of this. I, I know that, that it has happened. Uh, that people that started tithing because they thought that would help them financially. And by the way, it would had that not been the motive in them giving. You, you see, those who do their best to do their duty will be rewarded. And like the old song says, it pays to serve Jesus, and it really does. Our labor for Him is never in vain. We never waste anything that we commit unto the Lord, and He's promised that He is going to give back to us. You know, we, we, there's an old song, I'm sure Brother Barry knows, it talks about no disappointments in heaven. Isn't that a great thought? No disappointments in heaven, and there won't be any complaints in heaven. But I'm telling you, there shouldn't be any complaints certainly about God here on earth. Bev and I was talking on the way over here, and we was talking about a certain situation. doesn't involve any of you, by the way. We was talking about a situation, and, and it happens all the time with people. Something goes awry, and what do they do? They turn around and blame God. Somebody, you know, in the church does something wrong, maybe uh, hurts their feelings or whatever, and so all of a sudden, what do they do? Wow, they're, they're gone. They, they just quit on God. Like, like God did something wrong. God didn't do anything wrong. He does everything right. We don't have any right to complain about God. Even if God withholds from us and makes life difficult for us, we have no right. And it's simply in the matter of us obeying God that God has promised to open the windows of heaven. 
That's true whether it is being obedient in regards to tithing or whether it's in regards to uh, witnessing for the Lord or our support of the church in other ways or the using of our talents, our abilities for the glory of God, regardless of what it is. If it's an act of obedience, it's going to meet with the blessings of the Lord. And that's all evidence of His greatness that we serve a God who is able, as Paul said, He's able to do exceeding above all that we could ever even ask or think. What a God He is. He's one of a kind. There's no comparison. He's a great God. He is able to meet your needs if you obey Him. And And I said in the message this morning that my whole intent in that was uh, is to help people you can believe it or not you can think i don't like you or that i don't love you or i don't care about you think whatever you want but i'm telling you I, it's it's my concern my deep concern to help god's people i want i i want listen and every message ought to be in some way a lesson on living teaching us how that we can appropriate all of the things that God has promised to us. But you can't do that when you're living in disobedience to God. And it ought to encourage you to know that the Lord has said that I've got my hand, you know, i got my hand on the windows of heaven and I'm willing to just open it up and I'll pour out a blessing. It'll be much more than, than you could ever receive, more than you can imagine. Just obey me. That's all God's asking for. You go back to chapter 1. That's what that is all about. God had prescribed exactly what the sacrifices were to be like. He said, I want a male of the first year. It's to be without spot and without blemish. Why was that so important? Because that little lamb represented Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was without spot or blemish. And they desecrated by bringing a, a, a lamb that maybe had been attacked by the wolves and, and is about ready to die, and they bring that to the priest, say, here's my offering this week. Some people do exactly that in regards to their time, in regards to their talent, in regards to their tithe or whatever. They never, you know, they never give God all of themselves. They... Just give him the leftovers. And God says, I'm not going to accept that. And he told them that even their, even their acts of worship, their music, he said, it's noise to me. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be horrible for the Lord to be listening as you sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And to hear God say, that's just a bunch of noise to me. I don't even want to hear it. And I'm telling you, when we sing it with the wrong spirit, the wrong attitude, that's exactly what it is to God. It's just noise. God's goodness, evident. His grace. We don't deserve anything, so everything we have is not just as a result of His goodness, but it's an expression of His gracious attitude. We don't deserve anything, and God says, I love you unconditionally. I'm going to bless you regardless. And we see God's greatness, His ability to do what He promised to do. But then there's something else, and that's the glory of God. This gets to the heart of the 
the very heart of the matter. It's always the most important thing. And uh, that's the purpose for which we exist. You go back through the Bible, you say it was the purpose of man's creation. I've created him for my glory. It was the purpose of Israel. Even the sun and the moon and the stars and all of those things that God created was all for His glory. And then we come to the New Testament, it says, Unto Him be glory in the church. Uh, That's why this church exists, to glorify God. If we're not glorifying God, there's no reason for us to exist. Because we are nothing more than a glorified social club. That's all we are if we're not glorifying God in what we do. And it involves every area of our life and And he makes this clear back in Malachi chapter 1, but notice verse 2 of chapter 2. If ye will not hear me, and let's face it, a lot of folks don't. They don't listen. I could stand up on Sunday night and say what I preached this morning. I don't know. No, you don't know because you're out there in la-la land somewhere. You have a clue what's going on. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already because ye do not lay it to heart. And I read that and the only word I can think of is just, wow. Wow. Let us never forget that God deserves whatever God demands. And what God requires might be difficult. It really it's not always easy. And the fellow was talking about tithing and, you know, wondering how am I going to pay my bills. I mean, we're just barely getting by. Well, what, what, what are we going to do? You know, uh, that, that's, a real, that's a real scenario because sometimes it's difficult. But it doesn't relieve us of our duty because it's difficult. God deserves our obedience. It might not only be uh, difficult, it might be something that is unpopular not going to fit in at all with others. I remember several years ago we had had a missionary and somewhere during the course of the message the missionary expressed the fact that he was needing new tires on his car. You know, (laughs) maybe that was his prayer request. I I can't remember the details, but uh, he'd run all over the country and needed new tires. And I'll never forget that this couple in the church, they when they got home, and, and, and honestly, I can't remember whether it was the man or the woman. I believe it was the woman who suggested, why don't we just buy a new set of tires for, for that preacher? And it resulted in a big argument. And they talked to me later about it, and they had had this big argument because she said, uh, he said, we don't have the money to do that. And she said, well, the Lord will take care of it. And here they're arguing and bickering back and forth. Well, what I'm saying is that whenever you determine to do the will of God, even though it's difficult, it might not be the most popular thing to do because there will always be somebody that will rise up against you and make it difficult for you. 
you know, the devil just takes delight in robbing us of our blessings, doesn't he? And he can go about it in ways that we never imagined. God pours out a blessing. We get to have a one-week offering of, I don't know, $630,000, $650,000, whatever it was. It was, wow. Are you kidding me? A church this size receive an offering like that? All of a sudden, the wheels start turning, and Satan's got to—I've got to—I got to do something to shut him down from shouting. I don't want him to get too happy. I don't want him to be too excited, you know. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed how many people leave the church. for some of the craziest reasons you've ever heard of in your life. I want to leave it there. I don't want to explain anything beyond that. I'm not talking about doctrinal issues like I'm leaving the church. Brother Stone has denied the virgin birth of Christ. Brother Stone has accepted the belief of the universal fatherhood of God or some awful doctrine that I have embraced. Not that at all. I'm telling you, he makes it as difficult to keep going as he possibly can. Satan is out to absolutely destroy you, your family, and the church. And sometimes obeying him, doing what you ought to do instead of what you feel like doing, is difficult and it's unpopular and it's inconvenient. It doesn't fit in your plans at all. It's inconvenient. But it's never unreasonable. Romans 12 and verse 1, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. What did he say? Which is your reasonable service. God's never unreasonable in his demands. He said to Israel, he said, I want, to, I want the, the tithe, the first fruits of all your gain, 10%. By the way, by the way, he required a lot more than that. If you go look at in the other tithes and so forth, the things that he required, it was actually much more than 10%. But whenever he says 10%, you know, the original tithe, the first fruit off of the top of whatever they gain, he could have said, I want 50%, 60 70 I want 90%, but, but he didn't do that, did he? You know, and at some point, at some point along that line of reasoning, somebody would say enough is enough, that's unreasonable. I could take it when he said 50%, but now he's demanding 60. That is unreasonable for God to expect me to do that. Why? Why is that unreasonable? He deserves everything that he demands. And it's our purpose in life to glorify him. And to do that, we have to honor God by what? How do we honor God? Well, we honor God by loving Him with joyful obedience. 
joyful obedience. Not just obeying the letter of the law, not just saying, well, I'm going to do this because I've got to do it, because God's going to curse me if I don't do it. That doesn't glorify God. We glorify God whenever we do what we do. Not just because God demands it, but we do it with the right motive. As I love the Lord and He never ever requires anything from me that is unreasonable because I don't deserve anything. So anything I get is more than I deserve. And so, uh, you know, I, I gladly give God whatever He requires from me. And that requires what? Faith. Trust. He just goes back to the story I told a few minutes ago about the fellow that said he couldn't tithe. But he was willing to trust the preacher to make up the difference, but he wouldn't trust God. P.T. Forsyth said many years ago, he said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And for those of us who are Christians, we found the master. And it is the Lord. He is the master of our life. And in the, in the obeying of His commands, in the fulfilling of His desires, in meeting His conditions, and all of those things that He requires, He said, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to such an extent you'll not even have room to receive it all. Do you, do, do you really believe God would do that? I'm here to tell you He will. He really will. In my wildest imaginations as a boy, I, I, I never dreamed I would ever live in a house like the, the house that we live in. I, I, I never. I, I remember the doctors told Bev that she had fibromyalgia and that she needed water therapy and what have you. I, I, I never. I, you know, I thought, well, it's to the YWCA. I almost said the YMCA, but that that'd been wrong. But it'd be the y, YWCA. You go find a pool. We got a pool. I never dreamed of that. I, ne- I, I never imagined that we'd have a, a, a brand new automobile, especially an automobile like that. That's not one of those little old, you know, little old cheap old things. That's wow. I, I never dreamed of that. I'm telling you from experience, and and when I say that, I'm not saying it from the standpoint that, oh, you think you're the perfect example. No, I, I'm not saying that at all. It's been all by the grace of God. But I can honestly say that, that we have... We have really tried to please God and to go where God wants us to go and to do what God wants us to do. And God never lies. When He says, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out this blessing, He'll do it. If He did it for me, He'll do it for you. He'll do it for anybody. So whenever you read this verse from now on, don't just, you know, put it over there in the category of giving and dismiss it. You know, like, well, I already tithe and so that's no big deal. I can just mark that off the list. Got it taken care of. No, this is, remember, this is about duty, not dollars. 
It's about us obeying God, putting him to the test. And, and that's always amazed me that God just said, prove me. Just put me to the test. You do the right thing with the right attitude, having the right motive. You do that, and I promise you, God will do exactly what he promised he would do. You can't beat, you can't beat a deal like that. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain, Paul said. It really pays to serve Jesus. I hope you are. Let's all stand together. Father, tonight we thank you for your loving kindness, for all of your blessings, and we've been reminded of all of those many things that you've done. And and whenever I reflect on all you've done, I'm reminded of how little I deserve and, and how gracious you've been. Forgive me the times that I murmur and complain and whine about the things of life. and Help me just every day of my life to realize that if I really got what I deserved, I'd already be in a devil's hell. And instead of that, I'm on my way to heaven. And I have every single thing that I need. And it's all because of you. I pray tonight that someone will start trusting you and put you to the test. Not not just in the matter of giving, but in every single area of their life. We thank you this morning for the one that professed Christ as his Savior and pray that if there are others that need to do that, that they might do it even now. In Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand.